I want you to, if you can, turn with me to Psalm 90, Psalm 90 in your Bibles. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have um, different Bibles nowadays. You know, people have phones and tablets and computers and uh, paper and uh, the good old school uh, deal, the big Bibles that can protect you if you ever needed it to, uh, literally. And I just want to encourage you, regardless of how you use the Bible, to have the Word of God be part of your life. Amen? Amen. And so also, um, today, um, we're talking and continuing on our series called Priorities. We started the series last week, uh, and it was week one last week, and we talked about stewarding your call, stewarding what God has called you to do. In fact, if you remember last week and you were here last week, you saw Eric holding on to 80 pounds of weight with a chain. And the concept was that was just one talent. The servant that had one talent, he dug it, hid it, and said, here's the talent back. And the master, Jesus says in a parable, asked him, what happened? Why, did you, why are you giving me back what I gave you? And he makes a statement, you should have at least made interest on what I gave you. And uh, the Lord takes that talent away from him, the ability to call, and uh, banishes the servant. And we challenge everybody here to make a, um, a statement, a decision, to say no matter what God has given you, you are going to take it seriously. Don't look across the aisle. Don't look across at someone else. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. God has given you a call. God has given you a mission, and that mission is yours and yours to fulfill. So whether it's one, two, or five, it does not matter. Always double what God has given you, and you give it back to him, because God deserves our praise. Amen? So today, I want to talk about stewarding your time, stewarding your time. And uh, if uh, the first service was any indication, this is going to be a little bit of a, uh, a ride for us this morning. This is something that's not talked about in church enough. Uh, it's looked at as a leadership principle. I believe it's a follower of Jesus principle to steward your time well. And uh, part of what we're doing here as a church in this sermon series is to steward time well here in our ministry. And I want to encourage you today to steward your time and your schedule well. I entitled the sermon, Time is Sacred. Time is Sacred. Uh, here's a big idea for today. As your time goes, so goes your life. As your time goes, so goes your life. This is how an average American spends their time. Average American adult spends 11 hours per day uh, with electronic media. On average, just over five hours of that is spent watching TV, over two hours is spent listening to the radio, which I think this may be a little old here, and over an hour is spent on their smartphones. Uh, if you're like me, the new iOS upgrade on Apple tells you how long you spend on your device. I don't know if you've upgraded it or not. And uh, I've kind of been convicted a little bit myself how much time I spent on my smartphone. The remaining time is split between video games. Any gamers in the house today? Yeah? DVDs, Redbox, or other multimedia devices. The average American over the age of 15 spends less than 32 minutes a day involved in civic or religious activities. So it's not even just the you know, people that aren't followers of Jesus, 32 minutes a day. Twice as much uh, time as that is spent daily on shopping uh, throughout America. The average work commute takes about 25.5 minutes one way. That adds up to four hours and 25 minutes per week, more time than most of us spend on a vacation in a year. A study from the Bureau of Labor Statistics found that only 25.4% of Americans volunteer. Uh, and today, that statistic, I was reading an article last night, it's going even lower. Uh, 
Kind of ironic that in an age where we have so much social media awareness and so much awareness about everything that is wrong with the world and everybody sharing and posting and telling people the injustices that we see, that we see making a difference literally with your time, it's going downhill. Complaining and whining and giving people, you know, uh, talking points going up and actually doing something with your time going down. Kind of interesting, isn't it? The Bureau stated that the rate declined by 1.1% and has been the lowest it's been since their studies in 2002. This study was from 2012-13. I read the study uh, last night from 2018 about the fact that it's still not going up. We've got wells in Africa. We've got OCC's shoeboxes going across the world. We've got YouTube. We've got Facebook. We got Insta. We got all this stuff, and we find it hard to make a difference with our time. See, as Christians, followers of Jesus, our time needs to reflect our priorities and our Christian character. Because God owns our time. We don't. Now, we may think we do, but the reality is God knows when we were born, Jeremiah 29, 11, the famous uh, verse, and he knows when our assignment is going to be done. He knows the beginning and he knows the end. He is the alpha and All right, some of you guys are listening. So today, it's going to be real practical. I know, uh, I mean, I kind of have to pull myself back because I want to preach today. I don't know if it was the communion time or not, but I'm feeling like I need a B3 behind me right now. But one day, we'll come back to that. But today, I want you to get this thing with time because I think as followers of Jesus, we don't talk about this enough, that our time matters You cannot simply continue to do what you're doing today and then hope for different results a year later if you're not using your time according to what God has. So I want us to focus on Psalm 90. When you think of Psalms, you think of David, right? Uh, But this Psalm was actually written by Moses. And Moses in this chapter actually gives us quite a few nuggets of wisdom when it comes to managing or stewarding your time. Moses, I'm sure you guys know this, the first segment of his life, he was living in Pharaoh's palace. He was living the high life. It was bling, bling, all LED TVs everywhere, five-car garage, BMW 7 Series. He's living the life. Then he finds out that he's really not one of the Egyptians, ends up killing a couple people and runs away into the desert. And the second segment of his life, he ends up being a shepherd. Now, how do you go from living the high life, right, to getting to the slow life where you're just watching sheep? One second, you're in Pharaoh's palace, living it up, living the dream. The next second, second portion of his life for 40 years, he's watching sheep, just walking by. Oh, there's, there's Joe. There's Bob. Oh, is Glenn missing? Where's Glenn? Oh, there he's, he's right there. He's got a little bit shaved, you know, hair to his back. That's what he did for 40 years. He just counted sheep, made sure they were okay, put them back when, at night and brought them back out to eat for 40 years. And then you know the story, a burning bush, not consuming the bush. God shows up and begins his third segment of his life. And he goes back to Egypt, where he killed a couple people, to rescue God's people. And he says, God told me to let you know, Pharaoh, to let my people. Man, you guys watch Prince of Egypt. For sure. For sure. Let my people go. You know, that movie's really not that accurate, but at least did something, you know? So he goes there, the plagues happen, Pharaoh's refusing to do anything. He finally gives in and says, leave, get out of here. So this whole nation of Israel, 
They make it through the desert. As they're trying to escape, they, they face this massive body of water. And here comes Pharaoh and the chariots coming right behind him, about to take him out. Next thing you know, the waters part. The Israelites walk through the water. And then the chariots and Pharaoh are coming through, and the water takes them out. And then starts the fourth phase of Moses' life. So I don't know about you, but by this point, I would think I know something about time. I mean, with what God's doing in Moses' life, if I was Moses, I'd be like, God, this is a lot. (laughs) What is going on here? But God said, not just yet, and starts his fourth segment of his life. Begins to lead the people of Israel. He begins to go ahead and, and lead this nation of people through the desert. The Israelites become disobedient to God. They start whining. And God says, hey, by the way, that promised land that I promised you, yeah, nobody in this generation is going to go ahead and see this. So, hey, Moses, go ahead and lead everybody in a circle for another 40 years. (laughs) At the end of his life, over 100 years old, close to 120, Moses, God brings him up to a mountain says, hey, you can see the promised land, but you're not going in. I want you to know something. What would that person feel like if they were told all of this stuff to get to a place to recognize they're not going to the place that God had promised all along? See, this man of God had a perspective on time. He knew that it wasn't about the destination. It's about the journey. And the journey includes time. See, God is a God of process. He is not a God of the promises all the time. In fact, some of us, we think that we can get to the promise without the process, and it never happens. You want to know why? Because the process includes time. And that that was free. That wasn't even in my notes. See, in order for us to become better stewards of our time, we must look at the context of the decisions we make, not just the decisions we make. So many of us want to wake up early every day. Come on. Everyone's like, I want to show up to work on time, Pastor, but I just can't do it. But if we examine your life and you sit down with me, there's a good chance you're not going to bed early. You're staying up late. Try going to bed at 10 p.m. Six o'clock is not that far away. <laughs> Ask my little kids that. You know? Autumn goes to bed at 7, 7.15 every night. She begins talking in the morning at between 6 and 7. It's automatic. You can't sleep forever, folks, Right? So it's not the fact that your work starts too early. It's not the fact that you need a bigger alarm clock. It's not the fact that you shouldn't have six alarm settings on your phone to make sure that you're hitting snooze on every single one, right? It's not any of that. The context is this. You're not resting well. You're tired. Therefore, when you wake up, your brain's not turned on. See, some of us, we're like, the enemy, the devil this, get thee behind me, Satan, and all this stuff when we just got to go to bed early. (laughs) I know, it's kind of funny. You ain't going to say, preach it, pastor, right? Psalm 90, Moses gives us nuggets on what time and stewarding time is all about. The first thing he says is this in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. In other words, God, you have been the promise. It was never about the promised land. You have been our dwelling place. You have been our victory. You have been our banner in all generations. It says, before the mountains were made or ever were formed, the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is beyond time. 
Do you understand why we need God to work with our time? Because he is beyond time. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's the everlasting to everlasting. He, there was no beginning to him. And there is no end to God. That's who we serve. And he makes this statement as kind of this Lord of the Rings kind of statement. He says this, you return man to dust. Moses is always dramatic, you know. Return, O children of man. What are we returning to? Returning to a God that's bigger than our little bubble called 2018. We're getting ready to make some New Year resolutions. Anybody with me? I'm going to as well pretty soon, making some New Year resolutions. And the truth is this, I haven't really fulfilled all of mine this year. Don't be judging me. We can go ahead and ask you, (laughs) have you made all your resolutions, right? Why? Because we need to learn how to better steward what God wants to do in and through our life, not just what we want to do. This is what Moses is saying. God is the beginning and the end. In our life, God is the beginning. He knew what city you were going to be born. He knew what area of town you were going to be born. He knew who your parents were going to be. He knew the skin color you were going to have. He knew the job you were going to have. He knew the time or the lack of time that you're having. God is the beginning and the end. Makes me feel like I don't have to try as hard. I just have to align myself with who God is. The second is this, God is in control of your time. God is in control of your time. You may think you're in control, you know. You may think that hitting the the snooze button five times, you know, you're in control. The Holy Spirit is with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's right there watching your hand sneak up from underneath the comforters and hitting that snooze button, right? Or if you're using your iPhone, hitting the lock screen button for it to ring again. He knows. He's in control of your time. How do we know this? Even if you're not a believer, it's easy to know. When you hear of someone who has a terminal illness, what's the first reaction? Oh my God. Oh God. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, whoa. So you recognize the brevity of life. Why? Because you start counting down the time you may have with this person. Maybe you've had this diagnosis, a prognosis over your life, and you start thinking about what's valuable, and you start understanding that God has to be in control. If not, our efforts are in vain. See, in verse 4, Moses puts this into perspective. He does a little math for us. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. See, Moses knew what a watch is like because he's been a shepherd before. If you're a shepherd, you have a section of the night. It's called a watch. It's about three hours of the night. Moses makes a, a reference that a thousand Years is like three hours to God. Makes our life, in, put it in perspective, doesn't it? Like if we have a problem managing time, I wonder what God goes through. <laughs> a thousand years, in, you know, in three hours, six hours is 2,000 years, nine hours is 3,000 years, 12 hours is 4,000 years. God is in control of our time. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream this time, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes. And it's like in Texas, you know, when I was in Texas, you water these suckers down. I mean, you are like an hour or two at 4.30. The sprinklers go off. And in the evening, guess what happens to this grass? They're like dying in the Texas heat, 113 degrees. They can't make it. 
even though they had watering for a couple of hours. That's what life is like. See, Moses is not talking down to us. He's giving us a perspective of what life is like. See, we cannot create meaning and significance on our own. That will last eternity. Yes, we can make a difference today, but we cannot create meaning and significance on our own. We need God. We absolutely need God. Without God, all of our efforts are this small. All of our efforts are this little. I love in verse 10, the years of our life are what? 70. Or even by reason of strength. Some of us are like, hey, I've got good health, pastor. You know, I've got my doctor's report and he's saying I got it going on. He said, or even by reason of strength, 80. That's a full life. Amen. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? You know, you've heard the song, I'll fly away. All my old timers are going to be like, oh, we remember the day, you know. It's not just a country song, you know, where you're, I'll fly away, oh glory. No, it's, it didn't just come out of someone's basement, you know, they weren't rhyming. It came from right here, stating that time flies away. And before you know it, you're going to be seeing Jesus face to face. See, if we see God as he is, we would probably steward our time better. If we actually have a healthy dose of fear, the fear of God, we would actually say, God, what I do matters. How I'm slacking off matters. What I'm doing too much off, it matters. It matters because you are in control of my life. So Moses gives us the nugget that I want us to focus on today. It's in verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Notice that wisdom does not come before numbering your days. Did you hear me? Like no time management strategy is going to help you number your days any better. It always starts when your personal decision to go ahead and make a decision to number your days first, then you will gain a heart of? That's what Moses understood. It's a simple concept. When you number your days, you get the insight and wisdom you need to live your life. How many of you guys want wisdom from heaven? How many of you guys want insight from heaven? How many of you guys want to be in a place where you feel like you're in the will and the center of God? Well, you got to start numbering your days. You got to start getting into the nitty gritty of your life and saying, how am I spending my time? You're like me after this service here. I'm going to have, uh, I talked to my wife before we came. I was driving in from the Orange campus and I told her, hey, what's for lunch? <laughs> And, you know, we got a baby at home. We got little ones at home. So dinner's, you know, coming from the outside a lot. And, and uh, she said, hey, I'm really craving some pizza BOGO, right? And then uh, I told her, I said, she said, oh, we got some carryout special. And I was like, we can just order delivery. And, and she said, no, carryout special. I said, is that enough food for us? <laughs> I was more saying me, you know. <laughs> she said, what kind of toppings you want, you know? And I said, you know, well, I'll go with whatever. Just don't get plain cheese because I'm not just a plain cheese kind of guy. You know, just get some toppings on there. And, you know, we were discussing what lunch was going to look like. Right after I eat, I'm probably going to be watching some NFL football and sitting there watching teams hurt each other and the score go up and down. And uh, I'm going to fall asleep. My wife knows this. Because I'm going to be a little tired. Today was a little less preachy sermon, so I might not be as tired today. 
but I'm going to fall asleep. I'm going to wake up. And as soon as I wake up, I'm going to realize that my daughters have taken over the TV. There's going to be some kid show going on loud. That's how I usually wake up in the living room. And then I wake up and I'm ready to go for another week. And then at nine o'clock tonight, I will recognize something. Monday is here. And then on Monday morning, I recognize this one concept as a pastor. Sunday is coming. (laughs) See, if I live my life without measuring my time, the truth is, Sunday is always coming. I can't live like that, not even as a minister of the gospel. So how much more in the real world where most of you guys are living do you need to steward your time? You got to give your corporation or your business or, you know, your kids, your time. You've got to steward it well. There's a story that I read. It's from a hospice nurse named Bronnie Ware. She's a health worker that worked with patients in hospice in Australia. And she did a study and just did research as she was talking to patients in their last 15 days of their life. When they were given the report that you got 15 days, she would connect with them. She was obviously helping them as well. And she put together this top five regrets of dying. I want to share with you the top two. And I'm going to start with number two. The number two most common regret of dying. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish... I hadn't worked so hard. She says this, this came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners, but I think it's going to change with this generation. See, all of the men I nursed, she says, deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Just going through the motions, going through life, getting on the hamster wheel and running, that one day we can play golf. That one day we can get on a cruise boat. That one day we're going to have enough money. That one day that health insurance is going to be cheap. One day, one day, one day. And when you finally get to one day, is it ever enough? Those are the experienced saints of God talking right there. The number one regrettable decision right before people were dying says this, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. This was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to the choices they made or not made. And get this, I want you to lean into this statement. Health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? So even for the young people in this room today, if you're under the age of 40, You are not guaranteed tomorrow. You may be hustling today, trying to make the dream happen, but you got to put it in perspective to what God wants for your life because the hustle can come to an end real quick. Life can disappear. See, health is something that we pray to God for, but it is not something we can maintain forever, for a long time. Some of us, yes, we need to be more healthy, and that's a good choice. But I know healthy people that drop dead. Health is, is something we cannot control. And I want our church, and everybody listen to the sound of my voice, 
This is serious business when it comes to what God wants to do through your schedule. It's not just like pop, you know, popping open your phone or telling Siri you got an appointment today at 2.30 and tell them where to meet and we're having lunch. That's not what this is. That's not what the biblical definition of stewarding your time is. It is simply this, that your days are numbered and how you live it matters. See, what do we do with that? When we look at our current pace, guys, I want to talk to you real quick. When you look at your pace and your abilities, are you on the ledge? Are you on the verge of like literally losing everything because of the pace of your time and your schedule? You go to work and you're thinking about all that you need to do at home. You go home and you think about all the things that you need to do at work. You get to Saturday morning and your family needs your time and you're lazy and you're saying, when do I get a day off? And then you sleep a little bit and then the chores are there to do. And have you seen the leaves in the Heights area? Can these not decompose any faster? Forget the snow. You guys should be complaining about the leaves, you know? There's leaves everywhere. Oh, man, I'm still not done. I have, you know, anyways, getting off track here. And then you make it to Saturday night, and the Buckeyes won, and life is good. And then you realize, oh, snap, we got a new guy, and he cares about church attendance. He knows who's missing. He might even give me a ring during the week. I better make it to one campus and sneak out. And then guess what happens to you guys, too? Monday morning comes. See, we can't live life like this. So I want to give you five principles real quick. There's probably more you could add. Five principles to help you live as though your days are numbered. This is really practical today. Today's sermon's super practical. Here's the first one. Number one, revere God. Now, sometimes when we hear about this statement, revere God, fear God, we have this tendency to think of a really upset, angry dad. God is not an angry person at all, but he will discipline you if he needs to. Uh, My daughter, she's six, and we have a great relationship. I mean, this age right now, it's fun. I mean, when she sneaks out of bed this morning at 7.15 and says, Dad, can I come to church with you? I'm like, No, but that's so cute, you know? Oh, my goodness. I said, next week, let's get up early, you know? Maybe go to breakfast at yours truly, and then we'll go to church together, you know? It's fun. But there are times when Aria knows that she's out of line. And she has a healthy reverence for dad. I don't just, as soon as she does something wrong, I don't just spank her, you know, and be like, on the way to doing something wrong, I don't spank her. No, there is a clear motivation behind this fear. And what is it? It's love. See, I want my child to succeed in life. And she knows dad has her best interest in mind. And she also knows that she don't need to mess with me too long, you know. But she knows that I don't like disciplining her. I'd rather her just obey me. See, that's what Proverbs 9, 10 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, it's not an age thing. You can be 75 years old today, and without the fear of God, you got no wisdom. You got life experience, but you ain't got no wisdom to share. You may be 21 years old and you may think you know it all. I'm just going to tell you right now. Have a healthy fear for the Lord because you're about to find out life is a lot more routine than you think. Malibu's on fire right now. It happens out there too. We got snow, they got fires. It's not all pretty like Instagram makes it out to be. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One. In other words, knowing God more is understanding. I want to ask us all today to revere God, to have a healthy fear of God, not to think that he's going to discipline us, but he's a good father. Number two, be mindful of the margin in your life. Be mindful of the margin in your life. 
What do I mean by margin? Margin is space. If I asked you in your schedule this week, where is the space? Now, some of you guys are like, Pastor, it is Monday through Sunday. I don't do nothing at all. I'm not talking to you. You probably need to do some more. But I'm talking about those that are so busy. Every time we talk, you have a concept of saying, I'm busy. Now, some of you guys have caught on to this because now when you talk to me, I say, how's it going? You're like, busy, but not busy, you know? Like <laughs> pastor is the guy. He does not like the word busy. So we'll just say not as busy, you know, busy in a good way, pastor, you know? But being busy does not mean that your life is making sense. Being busy does not mean that your life is making a difference. See, without margin, God doesn't have the space to speak to you. If you're a business person in here and you're looking for the next invention, how exactly is God going to speak to you? If you have devotions every morning and you have no space in your schedule, you may be reading the Bible, but you're just reading words on a paper. You have no space to connect with God. You're not praying. You're just going through the motions. We've got to have margin in your life. The thought is this. My time is limited. Right? We all have 24 hours a day. Anybody have 25? Nobody. (laughs) My time is limited. Your time is limited. That means I need to limit what I do with my time. You hear what I said? I need to limit what I do with my time. It doesn't mean that we won't be busy. It just means that I need to make sure that what's on my schedule actually is from the Lord. We cannot just do life and expect different results. It does not happen that way. All right, I'll get off the train. Number three, prioritize your time commitments. Prioritize your time commitments. Does your schedule carry incorrect burdens? Oh, man. This, I'm talking to the Christians that feel like they got a savior complex, and I'm talking to you. Just don't make eye contact. I'm just kidding. Anybody have the mercy gift here in your spiritual gifts? Mercy. You, you have this gift of mercy and hospitality. My, my, my wife has it a little bit, and I definitely don't have it. I know I have a friend, my, one of my close friends, he's got a mercy gift. And the truth is this. If you're, you have a mercy gift and you're a Christian, you are a target. I just said it out loud. People know who you are. And they can take advantage of you. I don't know if you realize this, but you may feel good on the way to packing your schedule up. But the truth is this. You are not Jesus. Only Jesus is Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this. Jesus saying to all those who are heavy burdened, he says, come to me. He didn't say go to your brother and sister. Come to me, all you are heavy weary and burdened. I will give you Some of us need to recognize that. We have to prioritize our time commitments. So how do you do that? It's simple. Say this two-letter word out loud with me. Ready? One, two. You guys already know it. I didn't even say it. Say it again. One, two, This is going to release you guys from so much incorrect burdens in your life. You need to stop offering hundreds and thousands of people rides. You are not Uber. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? Be a Christian. You know me. I love making an impact and doing, buying people's groceries. That's me. I love giving my life away. I love giving cars away. I love doing all kinds of stuff like that. But... You cannot have incorrect burdens. How do you know it is an incorrect burden? When you're more worried about what the person thinks than what the Lord thinks. That's how you know. When you are led by the fear of man over the fear of God, that's when you know it's an incorrect burden. Number four, practice the Sabbath. Practice the Sabbath. Notice I didn't say keep 
the Sabbath. Some of you guys have heard me preach this before. I said, practice the Sabbath. You know, my whole life after following Jesus, I tried to do this thing. I even learned about it and what the you know, Jewish uh, traditions are, the Shabbat. You know, they call it the Shabbat. Friday, 6 p.m. to Saturday, 6 p.m. I read this book called Emotionally Healthy Leader by Pete Scazzaro a couple years ago. Okay, changed my life. If you want to pick it up, it's, it's a great book. It's for pastors, but it's a great book. And in that book, Pete talks about taking time from 6 p.m. on Friday to Saturday at 6 p.m. and being in loving union with God. But he made this one statement, practice the Sabbath. I love basketball. I don't know if you guys like basketball. Any ball players in the room? There you go. We got a few. We got a few. I love basketball. I love LeBron until he went to the Lakers. And then I'm like, I've never been a Kobe fan. I, I, it's, gotta be, it's weird. Can't even talk about it. Let me get back to my notes. You know? <laughs> I can't. I, I can't do it. He's not the same. He's not jumping as high. You know? He's not passing as hard. He's not dunking as hard. I mean, I don't know. Something happened. Anyways, I love basketball. And my entire career of playing basketball I loved shooting threes. Even before Steph Curry, I loved shooting threes. In fact, my middle school team, I remember uh, eighth grade, we were down 23 points. And I came back, those guys, I mean, I was launching stuff from at least 20, 30, I mean, 50 feet at least, you know? (laughs) Away. And it was going in, go. We came back, we won. But you put me on a free throw line. I'm like Shaquille O'Neal. I'm like, how is this possible? My elbows are locking up the wrong way. And, you know, I look like some bizarre person, you know, doing it. And literally, I start practicing nowadays, like Steph Curry does. I put my left hand behind my back. I know you're like, man, this Indian pastor with skinny jeans on is talking about playing ball. If you got doubts, we'll play later. You know what I mean? But I practice and practice. Why? Because if I don't practice free throws, I'll never be good at free throws. See, I can shoot from the three-point line because I practiced. So you will never be able to keep the Sabbath until you practice the Sabbath. See, for the last two years, I've been practicing the Sabbath. Has it been perfect? No. There's been times I got, I mean, I just moved to a new city, got a new home, got to move in, you know, got to figure out how a boiler works out here, got to take care of leaves, got babies galore. I mean, I, I know what life is like, but guess what? I know when I miss my Sabbath. Why? Because I've been practicing my Sabbath. For the last month, I haven't had a Sabbath. But I had one this past week, partly because I didn't want to sound like a hypocrite talking about this. <laughs> and partly because I needed it, right? And boy, did I miss my time with Jesus. Boy, was I a better person the next day. Boy, did it feel like there was hope in the air. And the leaves were starting to look good. And the weather was cold and crisp. I had coffee going. I mean, it was good. Saturday, I mean, yesterday was good. I was refreshed. That's the way it needs to feel when you miss the Sabbath. That's how you keep the Sabbath. Are you practicing the Sabbath? See, God created the Sabbath for us, for man. He didn't create it for him. He didn't just say, hey, I need rest. God don't need no rest. He gave an example for us to rest so that we would never say to him, well, you didn't need rest. So I guess since you're part of my life, I don't need rest. No, he said, you need rest. Are you resting today? See, scheduling a weekly personal day and a day of worship and family time are important aspects of learning to rest as God intended. That's what God does. That's who he is. He wants us to operate from a place where our schedule and the margin, we are good stewards and we become good stewards of rest. So I want to give you a practical example for that. For you guys, it may not be Friday 6 p.m. to Saturday 6 p.m. That may not work out. 
It may never work out where you can do Friday, because I know most of you guys work Monday to Friday, and a lot of you guys work a lot. So Friday night comes, you're like, man, I'm ready to party and just chill out, you know, a little bit. Pastor, you're going to put another thing on me? No. How about you just start at 7 a.m. on Sunday? 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Let your Sundays be your Sabbath. Come and serve. Come and be part of the ministries here. Come and chill out. Everything's relaxed around you. You don't have to be tense about church. You know, there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing, so that you can be healthy. You don't have to worry about all this. I'm coming to church. Oh, my goodness. You can be dressed down. Relax. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you are stressed out about the way you look to go to church, we have an issue. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't look nice. If you got time, go ahead and do it. But don't stress out on a Sunday. This is your day between you and Jesus. And take some time, you know, with your family. If you got a family in here, go out on a Sunday afternoon. My goodness, you spend money on everything else, go out. Or just bring some food in. Stop worrying about cooking all the food. If you like to cook, go ahead and cook. I'm not stopping anybody from cooking. If you like to cook, right? But take it easy. Enjoy the fact that we live in a beautiful city, in a beautiful world. And I know things are crazy, you know, avoid the news channel on Sundays. Stop going on Facebook on Sundays. Just chill out on Sunday mornings. And number five is the fifth key principle, maintain a routine. Now, this has been kind of hard for me, I have to be honest. I'm one of those guys that hate routine. Anybody else? right? I like it just live, animated, on the flow, you know, just stuff coming at me, and I like it. But the truth is this, in order for us to have a sustainable pace in our walk with God, we have to have a routine. We have to have a routine. Daniel had a routine. When things were being fired up against Daniel in the Bible, and people were coming against the God of Daniel, Daniel went back to doing what he always did. See, that's why Daniel was never thrown off when there was decrees being made in the land that he lived. Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 says this, when Daniel knew that the decree had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chambers opened towards Jerusalem. This is what he did often. It didn't matter what was going on in politics. It didn't matter what was happening in culture. It didn't matter if he could or could not. He had a routine. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks to his God. And as he had done, what? See, routine helps us through the chaos of life. This is why we need a routine. We need a godly routine in our schedule. It helps us in the chaos of the moments. Because I know sometimes you hear news, you know, this morning I heard that my cousin's mom passed away while she was on a trip in Dallas. They live in Toronto in a hotel room. But they're godly people. So you never know when it's going to happen. So I know my cousin, he's not freaking out. Why? I guarantee you he's got a routine of going to the Lord. Whether in a hotel room, whether in any other place, when you have a routine, God can speak to you. I want our ushers to come forward, and if they have these handouts, they're going to grab it real quick. I think I saw it out in the lot. They got it right there in the back. I want everyone to grab this piece of paper, and I want you to hold it on the side that says, New Song Church, November 11th. See, I wanted this to be a practical message for us today because I believe God can do something supernatural in your life when you're willing to move in the natural. Sometimes we want the super before the natural, right? But God often says that you've got to sometimes move in the natural so that he can do what only he can do. So the, the philosophy is this. We do what only we can do so that God can do what only God can do. On the, on the front of the sheet, it simply states this. When you learn to live like your days are numbered, you will gain a heart of wisdom. 
when you learn to live like your days are numbered, you will gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, let it be said of New Song Church that we're learning from God to live like our days are numbered. And in return, we gain a heart of wisdom. I am so excited. I really believe this with my whole heart this morning. I'm excited for what God can do in your life and through your life if you allow him to work and help you manage and steward your time. So the first question is this. The first question is this on the back. What do I need to add to my schedule that's not currently there? What do I need to add to my schedule that's not currently there? Why is this question important? It's important simply because of this. We won't know what to take out until we realize what the priorities are. What do I need to add to my schedule? So when we think about what we need to add, what's important to add, you all of a sudden realize, I don't got enough space. How am I supposed to fit this, God? And the Holy Spirit says, okay, let's go to the next progression of questions. What do I need to remove completely? You hear that? I didn't say, what do I need to remove? And we'll pray about it, and we'll just sing, and we'll have a little campfire and s'mores, and we'll have a discussion about it. I said, what do I need to remove completely? I'll put it this way. Who do I need to remove completely? I'm getting real now. Who is bringing me down constantly? It's not the plan of God for my life, and I need to remove out of my schedule every week. If you're not willing to remove this person after the Holy Spirit is speaking this morning, it is now officially on you. You can't be like, well, pastor, this person takes up my time. You don't understand. I think it's like 29.999785% of my time. If you're not willing to remove that person, what's going to happen to your 29.9877%? It's still going to be spent the same way. You're going to lose it. What do I need to remove completely? And lastly, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to do more of? I have found that this series of questions helps me be more productive for Jesus. See, there's a difference. I'm not just trying to be productive and a better person. I'm trying to be more productive for Jesus so that his kingdom can advance in my life and in others. On the back of it, I want, I want you to look at this. This is something that uh, one of our church members gave it to me. And uh, he's a um, assistant in the Cleveland, uh, assistant uh, principal in the Cleveland school district. And they have been giving this out to people and saying, hey, go ahead and do this in your life. Figure out where your time is going. Now, I want you to notice this, okay? The church is so behind. You've got school systems telling people managing your time is better. And if we preach about time, we're like, Pastor, come on now. Can we just talk about Jesus being a banner, the blood of Jesus being enough, and God is for us, and let's go charge and take the city of Cleveland today. We don't want to talk about the nitty-gritty because if we look into our lives, me included, we know if we were to actually put things on this line, on this chart in our calendar, we know what we will see. It's probably the same thing that we see in a lot of our budgets, unfortunately. Things don't add up. If we cannot give this to Jesus, how can we give our life to God? How can we say that we want to do more for Jesus? How can we say we want to be more effective for Jesus if we're not in control of this? So how, what, what, what do you need to do? I want you to go, and on the top of it, it says 12 a.m. On the bottom, it says 11 p.m. I want you to write down everything that you do this week. From Monday at 12 a.m., hopefully you're sleeping. <laughs> it should say sleep, right? Sleep, 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 all the way to next Sunday morning. Have this. Then evaluate it. You know, this thing says color coordinated. If you don't need to color coordinate, that's fine. 
You know, if you like the color coordinator, get a highlighter or use different crayons, whatever you want to do. But do this. And after a week, make a decision as to what it is that God has for you to add, to remove, and to do more of. And here's the deal. We're going into a very busy season. An example of this for me is I need to have some time to build my budget for how much toys and gifts we can do for the thousands of people that we love. I need some time. Where is that going to be on here? See, if I don't do that right now, I'm just giving you a practical example. Guess what I'm going to do on December 21st? Swipe, 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 swipe. And I'm like, oh, January comes along. Well, pastor's talking too much about money. You don't understand the bills I got. You know what I mean? This whole first of the year, first fruits offering. We ain't doing that. Don't bring that junk over here. Is it net or gross, pastor? See, if we actually just lived our lives like they're numbered, we would gain a heart of wisdom. See, my kid doesn't need all the toys in the world. I know this just seven years of her. Her room is full, and I got girls, so we got toys pink and purple. I mean, we have an entire room, 300-square-foot room assigned to the toy room. Praise God, they're all girls. I don't have to buy any boy toys, you know? It's all hand-me-downs from here on. But the truth is this, guys. I believe that God is speaking to you in your personal life. And the overflow in your life is going to impact this church, is going to impact your city, is going to impact your family. If you don't get serious about these kind of things, God cannot and will not give you what you need to do what God has accomplished you to do. Be a good steward of what he's given you in the time that we have. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your presence. Lord, we thank you for the practical teaching today, Lord. Lord, help us to be better stewards. Help us to be better stewards of the time you've given us, Lord. Some of us, we have 70, 80, 90, 100 years, Lord. Some of us, we have not so much time. Lord, I pray right now that you begin to speak to each person right now through your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you begin to do what only you can do? God, I pray for grace where grace is needed. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning, God, so we're not looking at yesterday. We're focused on today and moving into the bright future that you have for us. God, help us to realize that it's not over until you say it's over, God. So there's plenty of grace in the house today. If you're far from God today, and you're in this room and you sense this notion of God wanting to do something in your life. Maybe you're far away from God. Maybe your heart is in a place where you are far from God. Maybe you used to go to church and now you pull back. I want to let you know, friend, that God is a step away. He's a step away. All you have to do is pray a prayer like this. God, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I accept the work of the cross. I accept the sacrifice of the cross. I know there's new life and purpose in you. So would you show me, starting today, what that purpose is? So right now, if you're far from God, I want to encourage you. In your heart, make a decision to say, God, I need you. For those that are members and your brothers and sisters of the Christ uh, of Christ and you may not even be someone that actually calls this church your church home but you're a follower of Jesus I want you to know something God wants to move through your life it's not just about the calling it's about what you need to do so that God can teach you how to use your time and steward your time I want you to know God is near you Whether you're retired in this room, whether you are in a place where you're just starting a career, whether you're a student in this room and you're just wondering like, you know, how do I make it through today and do my homework and go back to school and what am I going to do with my life? Or whether you're in your 40s and you got a midlife crisis and you're wondering, okay, what what am I doing with my life? I still have the same job that I've had and I don't know if this is what, whatever it is, God knows exactly what you need in this moment. The Holy Spirit is here, 
And he's not worried about the promised land. He's just worried about your next step. So would you press in to him right now? Would you press into all that he is right now? Just right where you're seated, can you just respond to God? Right where you're seated. The presence of God is here in this grace and mercy just flooding this room. And there's new opportunities and new vision and new dreams. And there's healing from hurts and things that were spoken over you. That you would never amount to anything, but God is saying you are a son and you are a daughter. That he is speaking to you and saying, rise up, daughter. Rise up, son. The best is yet to come over your life. Come on, just breathe that new breath, that new air, that fresh air. Just breathe it in, and God can do the miraculous. It is not over until he says it's over. So God, I pray right now for a fresh fire over your people, over my brothers and sisters that are following you with strategic thinking, with a desire to be courageous. They're doing everything that they can. Lord, would you begin to invade and multiply their efforts so that they become more effective for who you are? Come on, let's just respond right where you're seated. Respond right where you're seated.